doubts are a normal part of the Christian life. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you're going to go through times when you have doubts. And I want to say that to you because the accuser wants to come against you and, and, and make you feel shame for that. Do not be ashamed. Understand, though, God is greater than your doubts. And He is going to walk with you through whatever is causing those doubts. He's going to reveal Himself to be the God He has promised to be. So long as you're living in this flesh and sin is tampering, and so long as you're in this broken world, there are going to be circumstances, there are going to be seasons, there's going to be pain that's going to come, and that's a part of God's plan. See, it's, it's when our faith is challenged that it becomes stronger. And so what we have is good news that God has not abandoned us in our sin. He has not abandoned us in our trials. He has not left us to figure out life on our own. Instead, He has come to be one of us, that we might be one with Him. And as His disciples, we can trust Him to walk with us through every season. And you will have seasons of doubt. But God is greater than those doubts. I want to encourage you to be mindful of your, of your emotional state. I say this because over the past few years, I've had many dear friends who mentally and physically were fine, but because they allowed their emotional tank to hit on empty, they fell apart. One even had to go and spend some time in the hospital for several months just to overcome, to deal with the, the emotional effects that, that impacted his life. And that happens, friends. And so I, I want to encourage you to be very mindful of where you are emotionally and understand no matter what you go through, God is greater. And you're going to go through seasons of doubt. And, and that, that is not a bad thing. As you do, remember this. God is with you. See, we have been made in the image of God, and so we're relational beings. God is a relational being. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is three in one. That's why He is love, because He has loved before there was time. That's who He is. He is a relational being, and He's made us relational beings. And so as we go through times when we are struggling with doubt, we go through those times in a right relationship with God. Now, we have the benefit of many blessed saints who've gone before us who struggle, who struggle as we will have and do. And one of those is Elijah. And so as we go through this month where we're, we're talking about how God is greater, and we're talking about these very real ways in which we need God to be greater, we're going to look at his life at one of the more sad times uh, when he was walking through a, a, a tough, tough season. Get your Bible, and I really do hope that you do. Take it out and turn with me right now to First Kings. Last week we, we started in verse 19, but I, I want to again take you back to chapter 17 just as a reminder to understand how we got to the verse we're getting to today, which is verse 9 of 1 Kings 19. In chapter 17, we're introduced to Elijah. We're introduced to a prophet who told the, the people that there was going to be a drought. And having made that announcement, the Lord led him to the Kareth Ravine, where he was to have water and the ravens were going to, to feed him. And, and so after the, 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 the ravine, after the Kareth Brook dried up, the Lord led him to a, a, a widow and, and her son, 
and their God provided for him, uh, through them and for them. Now this orphan son died, but miraculously, God used Elijah to raise him from the dead. And then in chapter 18, God calls him to the ultimate spiritual battle. And we see God uh, overcoming the Baal worship and through Elijah, bringing a spiritual victory that in Elijah's mind was going to accomplish Elijah's plan. Now remember, Elijah's plan was a good thing. He wanted to see a revival take over the nation of Israel. He wanted to see the nation of Israel come under the authority of God and be renewed and, and, and recommitted to the covenant that God had given to them. So in his anticipation and expectation and excitement, he, he went on to the capital. He goes into Jezreel, where he was a wanted man, expecting to see either Jezebel and Ahab repenting or the people of God, having seen the victory of God, taking over and bringing about a new kingdom that would be under the authority of God, and it didn't happen. The people didn't care. He got to the city. Nothing had changed. And then he got a message from the queen who said, I am going to kill you today. And so we talked about last week about how overwhelming that was for, for Elijah. He ran away. He forgot his name. It means God is the God. And he struggled. He got down to the most southern part of the, of the country and he quit the ministry. He fired his, 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 his intern, his, his servant. And then he went outside the borders of Israel and, and there he asked God to take his life because he was so, so miserable. His plan had failed. And so now he didn't want to live because rather than trusting in God, he was trusting in his plan. But God was gracious to him. And we, we talked about this last week. The Lord provided for him physically. And in that provision, the Lord saw him through. And so uh, Elijah, he, he escaped and he, he went to Mount Sinai. He went to the place where he knew God had shown up before, where he had shown up with Moses. And so he's, he's seeking, he's trying to understand. He had doubts, but he needed answers. Please understand Elijah was very much like Job. I'm reading in Job this month, and I was in Job chapter 8 this week, and I came across this quote, and I thought, yes, Elijah is like Job. He's not an atheist. He's not an agnostic at this point. This is what uh, D.A. Carson said about Job. Job is not the modern agnostic or atheist who treats the problem of evil as, it, as, as if it provided intellectual evidence that God does not exist. Job knows that God exists and believes that he is powerful and good. Job's agonizings are the agonizings of a believer, not a skeptic. Of a believer, not a skeptic. Elijah is a believer, not a skeptic. He's not an atheist. He's not an agnostic. He has a personal relationship with God. But he has some questions. He has some doubts. He's trying to understand what's the deal. Please understand, God was not surprised by Elijah's response. And please understand, God will not be surprised by yours either or mine. When you have doubts, God will not be surprised. When you have a faith challenge, though, remember, the problem is never on God's end, it's on our end. And the reason that's true is because God doesn't change and we do. Please understand, you're changing right now. You are either drawing closer to God or further away. And you need to understand, we need to understand, in a world with so much radical, progressive, often happening change, we're changing faster. 
And we need to be very sensitive to which direction we're changing in. Understand, God does not change. We are changing. If there's a problem, it's not on His end, it's on our end. But the good news is, He doesn't change. Remember we talked about this promise last week. This is good news. This is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. God does not change. He is always faithful. He is always gracious. He saves, He sanctifies, and He sees you through. That is Jesus. He is God. He doesn't change, but we do. And so we have to be mindful of the change that is taking place. Elijah, having had his physical needs graciously and mercifully provided for, is now needing to deal with his doubts and and needs God to speak to him and deal with him on a soul level, on the level of his very being, his very sense of self. And so that's what we see God doing in verse 9. So let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. Matthew's going to come up and read for us verse 9. Again, this is 1 Kings chapter 19, and Matthew's going to read for us verse 9. Read that for us, Matthew. There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Let's pray together. Father, so many thoughts have run through my mind even today about ways to teach this text. There's so much happening in this question. But, but Lord, you provided, and, and now let me be faithful to your word. And Holy Spirit, be faithful to the intent of your servant and to your servants of this church and speak to us and allow us to understand your will and your way that we might walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Matthew. If you would, go ahead and be seated. And his steadfast, never-changing love God asked Elijah a very important question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Please understand, when God asks a question, it's not so that he can get information. He already knows the answer. When God asks a question, he's, he's asking it so, first of all, we know the right question that needs to be asked, and so that we can be mindful of the answer. In, in the garden, when Adam and Eve fell, God asked a similar question, where are you? He knew where they were. He needed them to know where they were. God knows where you are. God knew where Elijah is. He asked the question, what are you doing here? The, philosoph- the philosophers call this an ontological question, a question of our being. He's asking, where are you at a soul level? Is it well with your soul? Where are you? What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, Elijah's geography provided some hint to the answer. Elijah was at this time a man in conflict with God, with himself, and with his world. And friends, that's what doubt is. Doubt is when you are in conflict with God, with yourself, and with your world. When those things are not all lining up, that's when doubt So when you're dealing with doubt, certain things that you need to do, and I want to equip you today, not to remove your doubts, because you're going to have doubts so long as you're alive on this planet and you're a genuine disciple of Jesus. When it comes to doubts, there's certain things you got to do. The first one is this, be honest in your doubts. Be honest. I love the fact that Elijah was not playing church here, wasn't playing Christian. 
He wasn't putting some sappy smile on his face and telling everybody he was fine. He wasn't fine. He needed answers. He needed to know, God, does your covenant still stand? See, God had made a covenant with the people of Israel. And he was wondering, because there wasn't a revival, there wasn't a spiritual renewal, his plan had failed. And so he's wondering, God, are you really going to, are you going to keep this covenant or not? And if, and if not, what kind of God are you? Elijah needed to know what he was dealing with here. Because see, there were many gods in his day, just as there are in our day. Uh, those provincial gods that, that are only able to rule over certain aspects in certain geographical areas. And so what he's wondering is, God, are you the God? Or are you just some weak God? He's wondering, God, do you have the power to accomplish your purpose? Everything I've ever studied, everything I know, seems to contradict my circumstance right now. So he's wondering, what's the deal? When this happens to you, and it probably will, if it hasn't already, it will. It may be happening to you right now. You've got to be, you got to, certain things you need to be asking yourself first. You need to be asking yourself, what's driving my thinking right now? When, when you're with us, what's driving my thinking? You've got to be very careful with your thoughts and what drives your thoughts. Because, see, whatever you think will drive what you feel. And often the best way to understand and to determine what's driving your thoughts is to ask a very simple question. What am I feeling? What are, what are you feeling? Are you feeling apathy? Have you become indifferent to God? Are you angry? Are you anxious? Are, are you scared? Are you, are you happy? What are you feeling? What you can know, whatever you're feeling, there are thoughts that are driving those feelings. And what you think and what you feel determines what you do. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Why are you sitting here listening to some bald guy talk about the Bible? You're here for a reason. How did you get here? What are you doing here? There are thoughts that are being driven, that are determining your feelings, that are determining your actions. Now, once you get real and honest about what's driving your thoughts and your feelings and your actions, now you need to assess, well, am I aware of the truth of God's character and love? Am I aware of God's affections for me? See, you got to know the truth of God's Word. It's not enough that you can say, well, here's what I know. Here's what's driving my thoughts. Here's what I feel. Here's what I've done. This is why I'm here, because I'm a failure. Because, or because I, I'm not a failure. I'm awesome. No one's recognizing me. Whatever that is. You've got to say, well, what does God's Word say? And what does God's heart say? And what has God done? What, is, what has God done according to His Word, according to His love for you? What has He done? Is He's brought good news. We know that God's design is not what's happening in our world right now. We know that the world is not as it should be and there's brokenness. Why? Because of sin. Because God's design is not what we're experiencing right now. The good news, the gospel, is that if we will repent of our self-dependency, if we will repent and give up on worldly ways, 
and believe in Christ doesn't mean you're never going to have doubts. What it means is you'll have a relationship with God so that you can deal with your doubts. Where are you? You've got to be honest with yourself. What you're thinking and feeling and doing, on one hand, what God has said, how much God loves you, and what God has done needs to come together as one reality. And that's reality. What is true? You, you've got to be honest about where you are. Are you a true disciple of Jesus? Do you genuinely love Jesus? Or do you just play church? Or are you just giving up? See, your actions will show your affections. And your affections come from what you believe and know. So let's, let's right now, let's just assume that you are a disciple of Jesus. That doesn't mean just because you're a disciple of Jesus that you're not going to have doubts. What it, what it should presume is that you will have doubts because God wants to strengthen your faith. So he's going to allow you to go through circumstances where you have to raise hard questions about who you are and who he is. And so you've got to be honest. Second thing is this. When it comes to doubts, be Godward in your doubt. Be Godward. What do I mean? Elijah wasn't doing what Jonah did. Remember Jonah? When God called Jonah, Jonah ran away from God. That's not what Elijah is doing. He believes in God. He has faith. He has a relationship with God through faith. He's now leaning toward God. That's why he went to Mount Sinai. He went to the place where God had spoken before. He went to get a word from God. He went to go and experience God. He needed to know the truth. So understand the challenges to your thoughts and to your emotions and to your, your way of life. You're going to be uncomfortable. That's how it goes here. In this world that is not your home. That's how it goes here. In your doubts, lean toward God. I have a mentor who is, who is in a really difficult day. And uh, just a couple of months ago, I asked him, how are you doing? And, and he's quoting scripture. God is my victory. God is my strength. God, God's going to work in one, one way or the other. God is with me. Talk to sweet. He said, I'm, I'm losing courage. Now that the pain is kicking in and the disappointment is very real, I'm losing courage. But I know that God has not abandoned me. Friends, what are you going to do when the storm comes? And by the way, it's coming. You say, well, I've been through that storm. Uh huh. I know. What about the next one? And the next one. And the next one. See, either you are leaning toward God, standing on a solid rock, or you're on sand. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Everyone, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, 
the wind blew, beat against the house, and it fell, and, and great was the fall of it. Jesus Christ is the rock. And either your life is standing on Him, or you are standing on worldly ways. You're standing in your own strength, or the hope of the age, whatever that may be. And when, not if, when the storm comes, if you are not standing on Jesus, the fall will be great. In your doubts, be honest. What's driving my thinking, my feelings, my actions? What has God said? What does God feel for me? What has God done? Bring those together and be honest. And then lean Godward. Be honest. Be Godward. La- last thing on, on this. Well, no, wait. i gotta, I got to show you something. We don't have time for it. We haven't had time all morning, and I see what time it is now. We don't have time for this. So here's what I want you to do. I want to give you an example of a person who prayed through their doubts. I'd love to teach through this. We don't have time. Uh, go today, this week, sometime, go to, go to Psalm 77. Psalm 77. Verses 1 through 15. And you'll see a prayer of Asaph. And Asaph had doubts. Follow the line of his thinking and his prayer. It may very well be that you just may want to pray that prayer. This is a man who had doubts, who was godly. Love to unpack that. You're going to have to do it on your own. Third thing, let's keep moving. When it comes to doubts, listen, be open in your doubts. Be open. Honestly, I don't believe Elijah was ready for God's plan. Because as we'll see next week, he's still arguing for his plan. But he was open to the reality that he had a, a God whose love was steadfast and eternal. He was standing on the solid rock. And so he was open. At least he heard the question. Some of you are here this morning, and at least you heard the question, what are you doing here? God is speaking to you about where you are at a soul level. Be comforted that at least you can, you can deal with the question that you are here. At least you heard the question. Friends, be open to God speaking through His Word, through your life, through His love. In your doubts. This week I had some time to think through the many times this has happened. And I, I, was, I was reminded of the first time that I could really remember having very serious, crushing doubts. I was 17 years old, and I'd only been a Christian for two years, and my parents got divorced. And when that happened, um, it was the summer before my senior year, and my mom just scoffed, and I had a conversation with her. And my dad was a truck driver, so he was on the road. And so just about every night, I came home to an empty house, and I went to bed in an empty house by myself, and I was mad. At the time, in the fall, I would play football, and I would look out in the stands, and I would see college scouts come to see me, but I wouldn't see a mom or a dad cheering me. And I would see my friends and the support of their parents, and it hurt. And I didn't understand 
where God was in all this. And I was, I couldn't sleep a lot. I use, I sleep <laughs> typically, I mean, I could sleep through workouts. I, I, I couldn't sleep because I was waking up because I was so scared. Because I didn't have any resources, and I knew I was, I was so smart, and I needed to go to school. And I knew the only way I could get to school was through football. But I thought, what if I get hurt? What if I can't play? What if nobody wants me? What if I'm alone like this the rest of my life, and there's nothing, and there's no one? And I don't know if you've ever been in that moment where every potential negative thing that could happen you are processing it as if it already has. God was faithful. He saved me. He sanctified me. And He saw me through. And I remember thinking, well, I'm glad that's over. It'll never get any worse than that. See, every, every challenge leads to the next one. You're never going to, you're never going to be done with doubt so long as you're a disciple of Jesus on this fallen planet. And so when you're dealing with your doubts, you've got to be honest. You've got to lean Godward. And you've got to be open to hearing the question, what are you doing here? And as you do that, just realize that your worldview is going to come to life. Your worldview, the way you see the world. See, there's, there's predominantly in our culture today, in our secular, so, so-called secular society, there are those who say it's just a physical world. So if you're having problems, you just need to take a pill. And then there are those, though, who say, no, 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 it's not just a secular, it's a very spiritual world. And see, if you're having doubts, if you have pain and problems, then you have sin in your life, and you've done something wrong, and you deserve this. And, and you're hearing the you're hearing Job's accusers. You ever read the book of Job and Job's accusers? I was in I was in Job chapter eight this week, and one of those jerks told Job that his children had who had died deserved to die because of their sin. I mean, with with friends like that, who needs enemies? And so there are those who say it's spiritual. You, you just need to get the sin out of your life. And then there are those who say, no, no, it's not physical, it's not spiritual, it's psychological. You just need to talk it through. You just need to say it out loud, and once you do, then, then it'll be through. You'll, it'll be through. Now, any one of those alone is a lie. Now, let me say this. We do have physical bodies. And, and if you need it, and you've been prescribed it by the right wise person and you need medicine, take your pill. Take your medicine. And if you're living in sin, stop. Stop sinning against God. It's no wonder your life is so confusing. And if you don't have godly friends that are in your life every day that you can talk to about your challenges and they can share their challenges with you in love, then you need to get connected with godly friends. And as you are doing what is right physically, as you are doing what is right spiritually, as you are doing what you, are, you should be doing psychologically in a community of beings because you've been made a relational being in the image of God, there's, there's three things, and I'm just going to real quick, and you're going to have to just kind of figure this out on your own. 
with a group of friends, hopefully. But you got to think through this. The real answers to life, the real answers to your doubts, understand, are found in the truth of God's Word, the intimacy of prayer, and then the hope of God's love. What am I talking about? The Bible tells us who we are, who God is, and what has, is, and is going to happen. That's reality. So you've got to be honest. What's driving my thoughts, my feelings, my actions? What has God said? What does God think of me? What has God done? That's reality. What is that truth? And then you've got to pray. And here's the deal. God says no because he's a good dad. But the only way you can know God's will is if you're praying specifically. God provides this. If he says no, you go and you pray for what's next. Until you know God's will. You keep praying specifically, trusting his plan, his purpose, and his power, and you pray intimately through that. All the while, trusting in this one grand, great truth. You are dearly loved of God. You are far more sinful than you know, and you are more loved than you can imagine. So how can I know that? Because we just took the Lord's Supper that tells us so. You're always going to have these struggles. My question is, what are you going to do? Where are you? Are you at a place where you can trust Christ with what you're going through, with what your child is going through, with what your parents are going through, with what's going on in your health, in your workplace, in your relationship? Can you trust Christ? And if not, you need to come get on your knees and give Him your life. If you are a child of God, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you just need to ask for His help. Just tell Him, say, God, I'm being honest with you. I'm, I'm being Godward, and I'm open. Speak to your servant. I'm listening. And then some of you, you know people that are struggling. Pray for them. Pray for your family. Pray for your friends. Hey, Pray for your enemies. Ask for peace. Let's stand together. Lord, you are so awesome, powerful, and yet gracious and kind and merciful and loving. You have not abandoned us in this world on our own. You have entered into our world, and by grace we are saved. And I pray for some today who need to come to this altar and get on their knees and turn away from a life dependent upon themselves and trust you. Father, I pray for your disciples who are here today who need to come and get on their knees and just say, Lord, help me. I'm listening. Or others who want to come and say, Lord, help him, help her, help them. Do a work. Spirit of prayer, come and pray. Thank you.